You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, that's Pastor Johnny Hunt, and Johnny is uh, leading a lot of us in the nation to do just this, what I challenged you a week ago, which is to identify one person that is yet to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and for them to hear the gospel through your lips. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, what a great opportunity. So I want to challenge you and ask you to commit with me to a year-long goal. You're going to find outside our doors a receptacle that's glass, and you're going to see a few ping-pong balls in the bottom. And what those represent is when one person shares the gospel, a ping-pong ball goes in there. Real simple. Let me go back over it again. When a person shares the gospel, if I were to share twice this week, had two opportunities to do so, drop two in there. The goal is, as we get to Thanksgiving, to see 5,000 of those kind of ping-pong balls. Fill it, empty it, fill it, empty it, fill it, empty it. We'll keep buying the ping-pong balls. It's going to be a really, really good year. And so will you join with me in making that commitment? We're going to train you. We're going to equip you. We're going to give you a simple tool. You've got people in your life, people you work with, people that you are in family, people in your street that you need to connect with the gospel. So join with me in doing that. Will you do that? All right, a handful of you will. Will you pray with me about that? All right. Sometimes as a pastor, I think if I'm the general and we're going in the army, I get a little leery at times, but I think you'll you'll be there maybe eventually with me. Hey, as you're doing that, as you're thinking, as you exit in a moment, you're going to find opportunities today for Bible fellowship groups. Some of you come to big church. That's what we called it as a kid, big church. And so we want you to be a part of a Bible fellowship group, a Sunday morning Bible study. As you exit alongside the encourager room, you're going to see some friendly faces who will help connect you there. Well, guys, I need to make a confession. I had a great sermon all prepared and planned. It was all working together, but the Houston Astros stole my sermon. So we're going to have to go with what we have right now. We're going to continue a series entitled Marge and Take Back My Life. We're Ranger fans here. We can make fun of the Astros. And I want to invite you to get your Bible and turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible, I want to invite you to find that one that's in front of you. There's a black book. Go ahead and turn to the last book of the Old Testament, and you can find the book of Malachi in the table of contents. Let me tell you a a fantastic story about two police officers separated by 3,000 miles. Michael's first day on the job, six-member police station in a small village in Alaska. First day on the job. He shows up and a guy comes with a gun and points it straight at his face. Michael, quick thinking, runs to the counter where he grabs pepper spray. Gun to his face, he grabs pepper spray to respond. The reason he did not grab a weapon is because this Alaskan village is too poor to be able to afford proper weapons, vests, all the things he'd come to the police officer. So another police officer in Davenport, Iowa, is sitting reading about this news report. And he just can't believe that there's a station of officers who's so poor that they can't even afford proper weapons, bulletproof vests. They can't even afford name tags. So he calls Savuna, probably mispronouncing that, Savuna, Alaska, it says, is this account real? And the guy that answers the phone is Michael, the one I just told you about that answered that first day on the job, the guy that put a gun in his 
is faith. He said, yeah, it's real. Now, there's three things you need to know about this small village. First of all, it's in the middle of the Bering Sea. Secondly, it's closer to Russia than is America. So maybe they can see Russia from there, like our former vice president said. Number three, again, it's so poor. 25% of the people have no job. 25% unemployment. 40% work for the school district because that's about the only job that's there. So this is what our friend, the officer in Davenport, Iowa, gets about doing. He says, this cannot be. So he starts asking some of his fellow police officers, 170 in Davenport, Iowa, to begin making donations. Then he asks the sheriff's department. And the city chips in. In fact, what they do is they get 15 bulletproof vests. They get some other weapons. They even find somebody to donate the shipping and someone who personalizes name tags for them. They couldn't afford name tags. And they send all this up there. It's a remarkable thing. This is what I like. He says that in a community where 92% of the people have high-powered rifles, they have nothing. And one police officer in Davenport, Iowa, 3,000 miles away, does something about it. Now, when the news came out, they interviewed this officer's pastor. That's what the pastor said. Speaking of the Davenport police officer, he said he's just the kind of person who would read a news story about some people in need miles away and figure out a way to help. He's a pretty humble guy who puts a lot of effort into helping others. That's what his pastor says. Stop. If I were asked about you, what would I say about you? Somebody in the first service said, ouch. <laughs> if you can't say amen, say ouch. All right? Hold that thought for a moment. Malachi chapter 3. Today I want to introduce to you the third and a component about finding margin for our life. The first week we talked about our finances and finding contentment. We're never going to be successful financially if we have no contentment on what the Lord's given us. Week number two, a week ago, we talked about saving, saving money for a rainy day. If we're making good money now, that doesn't mean that we're going to always make good money. Put some money back because there's a day coming when we may need that money. The third component of our series is the joy of giving. I'm convinced that many, if not most of us, want to be like this police officer. We want to be warm, we want to be generous, we want to find people in need and help them at the time. And so this morning I want to speak to you about the joy of giving. And I want you to see the Bible's instructions on how a Christian is to handle their finances. If you are not a believer and if you're not a church member today, you're probably thinking at this moment, oh my, this is the Sunday I chose to visit yeah, this church. Well, it is, it is. Every so often we've got to do this. So let me, let me say to you as a non-Christian, I'm going to give you an opportunity and maybe permission if I could. The believers in your life, think about them, the people who profess Jesus Christ, I want you to see as I teach God's Word on this, do you see a discrepancy between how the Christian believers in your life, including me, how we handle our money and how the Bible instructs us? So again, I'm speaking to our church family. I'm speaking to believers. But if you're not a believer today, again, I give you that opportunity to look at the believers' lives, the people in your circle. Is there a discrepancy in how they handle their finances and how the Bible teaches? When you're in Malachi, you're going to find that Malachi's name means my messenger. 
He is direct. He is up front. He has a finger in your chest frequently. And this is what he'll do. A topic gets introduced. No sooner has God said, this is the challenge I have with you guys, than Malachi will have a question. In fact, in verse 2 of chapter 1, you'll see the first instance of it. God says, I've loved you. The people say, how have you loved us? Do you see it there in verse 2? Skip in verse 6 of chapter 1, you'll see the very same thing. The priests despise my name. They say, how have we despised your name? Today, in chapter 3, verse 7, we're going to begin reading. You're going to find the very same way, the very same mechanism. God introduces something. People have a question. Beginning in verse 7, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. Those are powerful three words. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Do you see the question? How shall we return? God answers, verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and offerings, tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, verse 11, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your souls, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says again the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, again says the Lord of hosts. A couple of distinctive things, this question thing in Malachi, he loves to go to that. Did you pick up on his favorite name for God? Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, Lord of the armies. Does that give you a powerful picture of God? He is Lord of the armies. Now, as you're looking at Malachi, we're just going to camp out there for just a few moments and understand what God is saying about our finances. In the moments to come, what I want you to see is that this is written to the nation of Israel. It's not written to the nation of America. It's written to the nation of Israel. That is whom God has his covenant with. Today, it's not a nation, it is his believers. His covenant is with believers, people purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ all throughout the globe. No longer are believers concentrated in one nation in the Middle East, now they're spread out all over the place. Now, whenever we speak about money, tensions get high. Think about that. If you're married and the subject of money comes up, do you not just get a little tense right there? Doesn't that happen? Okay, then for your house. It does in my house, it gets a little tense right in that direction, okay? But tensions have always been high, especially about the topic of religion and money. You know the first murder in history? Yeah, what was that about? Over an offering. Or take the early church. Remember the couple Ananias and Sapphira? Couple shows up in church and says they gave more than they really gave. God, in the words of Barney Fife, nipped that in the bud right there. He said, we're not going to have any of this. We're not going to have lying in the church. So took them out that day. Tensions are always high when it comes to finances and religion. So I want you to relax for a few moments. I want you to come to this text, and I want you to say, what is the Lord asking me to do? Not what a pastor, but what is the Lord asking me to do? Here's the truth I want you to see today. God loves when his people are generous. I want you to take that away today. God loves when his people are generous. And you're never... You're never more like your father 
than when you're generous with people in need. When you're copying his generosity and putting it into place in your life, you're never more like your father. Look with me today. First, trust God's word. To trust God's word. In verse 7, there's three little words. Return to me. If you return to me, I will return to you, verse 7. Now, we live in a day and time where our president has popularized this concept of fake news. And whether you're a fan of the president or not, I'm pretty well convinced that there's real news and fake news out there. He's, he's got me to be a believer. But here's the truth as I hold in my hand, this is not fake news. This is always the real thing for this age and the age to come. And so as I, as I turn to the Word of God, the Bible is telling me in verse 7 that I've turned aside. Many of us have turned aside. There's a way I should walk. Psalm 1 says the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. There's a way that I should walk, but I've turned away from that. You ever done that in life? Gotten the directions wrong? I remember years ago, Trace and I were traveling Mississippi, and I got on the wrong highway going west when I should have been going east. I was so mad to lose that 30 minutes. I'm one of those guys in the car. No, we can't stop. We've got to get there. We've got to get there. Can't go to the restroom. Shouldn't have drank that much. So I was so angry. I was so angry that my calculations and my computations weren't in the right way. The Bible says that we've turned aside. Now, let me put a couple of markers for you for us to understand north, south, east, and west here. As we talk about God's Word, when He says to return to me, how do I trust God's Word in this? Here's the first thing. You and I need to understand that the Bible teaches that God owns everything. Would you say that with me? God owns everything. The clothes on my back, they're God's. These shoes that I have on are God's. Any jewelry, any house, the car I drove here today, that's really God's. Uh, the breath in my lung, the blood that's moving through my body. My life is the Lord. God owns everything. I love these two passages. I'm going to put them in front of you here. I'm going to read the first. I'm going to ask us to read the second. But look at this. The Bible says, Psalm 24, 1, again, God owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world, and both who dwell therein. So he owns everything, and he owns me and you, all right? What's the old song that says he's got the whole world in his hands? He owns everything. But I like this second one, Psalm chapter 50. Let's just read the first, first clause together. You ready? Right to the comma. The, actually, this is the second comma. You ready? If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Now, pause right there. If Jerry Jones decides to expand Jerry's world in Arlington. Do you think he's going to come to Scott Mays and say, could you spot me a quarter billion, half billion to get this done? He's not going to do that, is he? Because he knows that I don't have that. Probably Jerry does from what he charges with parking and concessions. He doesn't need that kind of thing. On a higher level, the same thing for God. If God's hungry, he's not going to panhandle with us. He's Got the cattle on a thousand hills, a famous psalm says. And so the Bible teaches that God owns everything. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. I can see where this is going. Uh, you're going to my pocketbook. And I need you to know that what's in my pocket, I've worked hard for the money. Hey, I'm with you. I get it. I understand. But let me ask you something. The money that you have, the money you don't have. If God had picked you up, taken you out of North Texas what they call this economic miracle, and plopped you in that little village 
in Alaska. The one I talked about, the two police officers, where a quarter of the people have no job, and the people that do have a job, some 40% of them work for the school district, okay? Destitute poor. How much money would you have there and then? See, the truth is, you and I have worked hard for our money, but a lot of the money that we have is because of God where he's put us, the circumstances. Let me throw it a different direction. What if God, rather than putting you in the United States of America, perhaps the greatest economic engine in world history, what if he'd have put you as a serf in the medieval ages? What was that, six, seven, eight hundred years ago? How much money would you have then? See, friend, you and I are blessed because of where we are. We're a friend of our, we are a response to our circumstances. Yes, you've taken advantage of it. Yes, you've done fantastic. You've worked hard, all that. I'm not disagreeing with you on a bit of that. I'm just simply stating what Deuteronomy chapter 8 says. The Bible says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. I'm at the house of God today, but I'm also at work. And God got me up this morning. I had the ability to swing my legs off the bed, get showered, come to work. He gave me that health. He gave me that ability. He put me with a family that my dad said, you're going to go to college or I'm going to kick you into the next state, that kind of thing. That, none of that, none of that was what I did. The Lord gave me that. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 is true about me. God owns everything. Here's the second thing. You are a money manager. You're a money manager. The stuff that you have is yours for a period of time, but really and ultimately it is the Lord's. Everything in your house, everything on your body, everything in your bank account is the Lord's. In fact, we need to remember this. Romans chapter 14, verse 22. The Bible says each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Did you know that, believer? There's an appointment one day when I will stand before the Lord and I will give an account. Now, catch this. Watch this carefully. The Bible says, actually the Bible has said this, uh, stats day, I'm so used to saying that, we on average in the mid-cities have about a household income right around $60,000. That's the average household income. I looked it up in 2019, about $60,000. If you work 40 years at 60,000, by my math, and I went to school in Kentucky, God help us all, you will have a little shy of $3 million in that 40 years. That's a whole lot of money, $3 million. So there's a day coming when maybe the Lord and I are talking and he says, where did all that money go? I'm going to say most of it on our kids. <laughs> most of it went on our kids, Lord, you know that. Second question, he's going to say, what did you spend it on? Third question he might ask me, he said, what have you accomplished for eternity with the possessions I gave you? Everything, all of it. This wedding ring on my left hand, clothes, all this stuff, I have it for a period of time, but there's a day coming when I will no longer have it. There's fake news and there's real news, and the Bible says God owns everything, that's real. You're a money manager, that's real. Trust God's word. Secondly, tithe God's possessions. The really crux of this little piece here, the crux of our passage in Malachi, comes to this crucial word in the beginning of verse 8. In fact, you need to pick up at the end of verse 7. How shall we return? He says, return to me, okay? Now that we're talking, God, how shall I return to you? Well, God says, will a man rob God? 
you're robbing me. Now, that's a, that's a really powerful analogy. It's a powerful metaphor. So let's get a couple things straight. When the Bible says you're robbing me, at the end of verse 8, in your tithes and contributions, the word tithe literally means 10%. 10% is what the word means. In fact, if I make $1,000 and I give $100, that's tithing. If I make $1,000 and give 50 and call it tithing, that's not tithing. Tithing means 10%. So if I say 50 out of 1,000, tithing, that's 10%ing 1,000, that's what the word means. No, you're giving. Praise the Lord. Glad you're giving to somebody, uh, somebody that may need it. But use the word accurately. Tithe means 10%. And I think grabbing that and making sure we have it right will really be helpful. Where does the tithe, where should it go? Well, the Old Testament teaches this, that the tithe should go to the temple, probably the modern-day equivalent of that would be the church. Secondly, to the poor. Every time you pick up God's Word, you can't, you can't help but read of God's heart for the poor. And third, to priests or missionaries. That's where the tithe should go. When you go through the Old Testament, do the work, you can go there and do it yourself, that's where your tithe should go, to those mechanisms. But then he asks this really pointed question, will a man rob God? It feels very intrusive, doesn't it? Yesterday I had the privilege of going to Fayetteville, Arkansas, where my beloved Kentucky Wildcats were playing the Arkansas Razorbacks. It was a fantastic time. It was awesome. I had the best seats of any collegiate basketball game I'd ever been. I was seven rows behind the Kentucky bench. I could smell the coach's aftershave from where I was sitting. It was awesome. It was fantastic. And I could hear him chewing out the players. It reminded me back in the day when my coach would chew me out because I was the big man. And there was one point where Nick Richards, his big guy, didn't grab the rebound. He's like twice as tall as anybody else. So he gets get over here and he says, right there. And then he sets him down and you can hear him talking and he's Take the ball. Get after it. Sit down here. You ever had a coach talk to you like that? You ever had a parent talk to you like that? They love you. Put a finger in your chest. Don't you feel that way with Malachi? He just got a finger in my... I just walk in the door and talk about robbing me? What are you, what are you talking about here? This feels like marriage. What are, you, what are you accusing me of here? Let's back off for just a second. It's a really pointed question. I'm telling you, Malachi is direct. He's really direct. You know, the word rob he uses is a really rare word. He could have used a Hebrew word for rob, R-O-B, that is generic. But the one he uses is about plundering. It's about not only robbing, but pillaging. It's using violence against someone. It's oppressing someone. It's a really powerful, vivid picture. Several years ago, some friends of mine were attending a church and they were telling me about how the church got robbed. They had uh, collected the tithes and offerings Sunday, everybody's checks, a little bit of cash, that kind of thing. And a young 20-something-year-old in the life of the church got with his other 20-something-year-olds that didn't go to the church, and I guess maybe drugs, I don't know exactly, he just said, I know where we can find some money. And they broke into the church, took everything from that Sunday, tore up the church really was painful. The second level of pain was when they found out the kid attended there Sunday after Sunday and his family attended there. Robbery is a personal thing, isn't it? Whether it's a, an oppressive village, 
kind of plundering or if it's something more of the modern. God says to these people, here's how you're robbing me. You've lacked a generosity. I've put possessions in your hand, but you've not returned them to where I want. It's not that I need them, God says. It's just that you have kept them for yourselves. Now, let's stop here for just a second. Let me ask the following. Parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, have you ever taken your kids to McDonald's? Uh, we have. All three of our kids when they're younger, the 20-year-old, 15-year-old, that's the span of ours. But years ago, we lived in real places. And, you know, all day long, the kids are just sort of in the winter, they're in the house, and you think, we got to get these kids out of the house. Get them over at McDonald's Playland. Maybe they'll wear themselves out and take a two-hour nap. And no doubt, when you walk into McDonald's, you're going to buy them a happy meal. And have you done this as a dad or a mom? You've reached across the table, and I have this saying in our family that a stolen fry is the best tasting fry, <laughs> right? <laughs> the French fry that's given to me is not nearly as tasting as, the, as good as the, the one that's given to you. So there you are, you know, you've, you've paid for it, and you sit down, and you're eating together, and you just reach across, and you pick your daughter, you pick your son's French fry, and you just... And they pull it back. And they say one little word. What do they say? It's got four letters. Mine. You reach in your pocket. You look at that receipt. You've paid with your debit card, and it says your name right there. <laughs> Show it to them. <laughs> Did a fact check here. No. That fry is not yours. I paid for that fry. Now, you don't need a preacher to tell me where this is going, tell you where this is going, do you? Huh? We can all figure this out. Don't we do the exact same thing with God? He gives us the ability to make wealth. He takes care of us. And we said, no, I'm not sharing that fry with you. That is mine. Imagine if tomorrow you're given this job. You're given the, the opportunity to work as the cashier at Chick-fil-A. And I mean, just eating that food all day long would be fantastic, drinking the sweet tea and eating the waffle fries. But the manager says to you, we like you a lot. We like you so much, and here's what we're going to do. Everything you take in your cash register, everything, you're going to keep 90% of it. And at the end of the day, I want to see what's in your till, credit card receipts, cash, the whole thing. I'm going to keep, I want 10, the manager says, you keep 90. Anybody like that idea? I'm quitting my job and going and doing that tomorrow. That is awesome. That'd be great. I'd make a lot more money. But then, you know, day in, day out, you keep the 90, the 10, you're excited about that, one week, two weeks, about month two comes along, and you, you decide for yourself, you know, I'm going to keep all 100 today. And the manager's at the door, it's a closing shift, and you sort of bull rush him like a pass rusher would of the NFL, just more move past him and say, no, 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 I'm keeping all 100% today. Isn't that exactly what we're doing? God has given us an incredible deal. No manager, by the way, would give you that privilege. Best you might make is 10%. They'd keep 90. And yet God does this. You see, this predicated, all predicated Malachi, this little concept of robbing God, it's all predicated upon a beautiful prayer that King David prays. Years before our friend Malachi, David he wanted the privilege of building the temple in Jerusalem. God says, no, you can't build the temple, but this is what you can do. You can get everything ready for your son to do it. And so David, like any preacher, he's fundraising, getting the money together for the temple. 
And he prays this fantastic prayer, First Corinthians, excuse me, First Chronicles chapter 28 and 29. You can check it out later, First Chronicles 28 and 29. This is essentially what he prays. He says, God, everything in heaven and earth is yours, Lord. Wealth and honor come from you. Everything comes from you, and we've only given you today what is coming from your hand. That's what's going on in Malachi. So when you withhold this, Malachi says you're robbing. Now, let me address the elephant in the room. There are people in the room that know the Bible far better than I do, and somebody is in the room saying, Pastor, you're teaching Old Testament, Old Testament concept. This is New Testament. You're teaching something. Old Testament's passed away. It's no longer binding on us. We're in the New Testament. Okay, let's talk about that for just a second. What was Jesus' opinion of tithing? The only thing that I'm aware of that he said on tithing comes in Matthew 23, verse 23. This is what he says, Woe to you, scribes! Woe to you, Pharisees! Hypocrites! For you tithe mint and, root, uh, mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you've ought to have done without neglecting the other. Here's what Jesus says. Scott's sitting around thinking about, oh gosh, you know, I forgot to tithe off that gift when I was five years of age at my birthday party. But I'm treating my mother, I'm treating my mother-in-law, I'm treating the people around me like a jerk. And I have no justice, I have no mercy, I have no faithfulness. Jesus says, tithe, but get your relationships right. Be kind, be compassionate. That's a word for us in the room today, by the way. There's some today that inside, I'm preaching this message and you're congratulating yourself because this is something you're doing. Awesome, praise the Lord. But let's not be patting ourselves on the back. Let's be careful not to be guilty of exactly what these guys did. Jesus never once abolished the tithe. Jesus never came along and said, hey, that whole rule about adultery in the Old Testament, sleep with who you want to. Jesus never came along and said, you know that rule about murder and killing? Kill who you want to. He never came along and said, oh, that rule about giving 10%, don't worry about that. But let me say to those who are just convinced that this is an Old Testament thing, and the New Testament says something entirely different. Okay, let's say you're right. Let's say the way that I'm teaching the Bible is completely wrong. Let's say when it comes to the New Testament, 10% is not the, obli the obligation of us. Okay? So we go from Old Testament to New Testament. What do we learn in the New Testament? Jesus dies on the cross. He raises from the dead. All this for our sins. He prays for us, seated in the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit's inside of us today. He loves us in an incredible way. Now, knowing all that, should I reduce my giving down to like 5%? If anything, when it gets to the New Testament, I'm not going the direction most of us want to go. I'm increasing it. I mean, he has poured out everything to us. There's no way I can give less now. Turn your Bibles, if you will. Keep your bookmark in Malachi. Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I want you to see five financial habits of Christians. These five habits. I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians, one verse, and then I'm going to be joining you in 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at chapters 8 and 9. But I want you to see five habits here. These are the five. You and I are to give cheerfully. We're to give regularly. We're to give proportionally. We're to give generously. We're to give sacrificially. All five are going to come from the passages we're going to read in just a moment. We're to give cheerfully. We're to give regularly. We're to give proportionally. 
We're to give generously. We're to give sacrificially. Now, I'm going to join you in 2 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up. So as you come into the house of God, it's the expectation that every week you come into the house of God, save some money back. Remind everyone in the room, God said through Moses back in the book of Exodus, no one shall come into my house, no one shall worship me with empty hands. We bring something to worship. It's part of what we do in worshiping, the singing and the message and the giving. So we're to give. Give regularly. Secondly, 1 Corinthians, sec- actually 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look with me at verse 3. They gave, they gave according to their means and beyond their means of their own accord. So there's an idea here that if I've been given a little, I'll give a little. And if I've been given a lot, I'll give a lot. In fact, they gave more than they could give. Look with me at verse 7 of chapter 9. Just turn one chapter over. We're going to read verses 7 and verse 8, where the Bible says, Each one must do as he's made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a, say it, cheerful giver. Somebody says, Pastor, you've left me a long time ago. I can't do this cheerfully. Verse 8, God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that you may always have enough of everything and may provide in abundance with every good work. Here are the five again. You're to give regularly. You're to give cheerfully. You're to give proportionally, generously, and sacrificially. We're to trust God's word. We're to tithe God's possession. Third and lastly, we're to test God's provision. Verse 10, God says, put me to the test. Try me out. Isn't that remarkable he says that? Put me to this. Try my way. See if it works. You were given a card today in your worship guide, and I want to invite you to get that with me. Because on the first Sunday of February, I want calling upon our church family to have one day where we prove the tithe. What would it look like if all of God's people gave 10% of their income on this one Sunday? Prove the tithe day. I want to ask that you prayerfully consider this. In doing so, you've been given a card. There's three options on this card. I want to invite you to make this card an altar. I want you as married couples to be in talking about this and praying together. If you're dating someone, have this conversation ahead of saying I do. This is an important conversation. If you're single, perhaps get a friend to help you determine what is wise here. Here's f- first option. I'm going to test God by giving 10% of my income for three months. I'm going to put Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 to the test. The Bible's not saying you get wealthy, you'll get rich. TV preachers may say that, but that's not what the Bible's saying. It could be that the Lord just takes care of your needs and you have that good feeling of being generous and kind. One lady told me recently in our church family that her and her husband had tithed all their lives and they had been saving up money for their kids for college and they had come up $8,000 short. There was an $8,000 bill coming from University of North Texas and the wife said to the husband, this is going to be taken care of. We've always been faithful with finances, and God will care for us. He will take care of this. Within a short period of time before the bill came due, they were contacted because they had the mineral rights to the land. What was the check amount for? $8,000. Test God in this. See if God is real. Secondly, do this. I'm going to contribute a tithe, 10% of my income to the Lord in 2020. Some of you 
As you pray about this, you think about it, that's where you're going to be. Others of you today, you're going to go beyond that. God has been good. He's been gracious. You're going to give a tithe to God's house, wherever you attend. But God's calling on you to give additional money. Those kind of ministries could be Cornerstone Assistance Network, where it takes care of the poor, Good News Club. Many of our folks are involved in teaching God's Word to kids in schools. Could be any organization you want to go beyond that. I want to encourage you, make this your altar. Now, if you're a young person here today, one of my kids recently said, I'm going to start this when I get more money. No, you won't. It gets harder. It gets harder down the road. And so I told that child, I love you, but your whole life you've lived off tithe of somebody. You need to be serious about this. Because the Lord gives you wealth. He's given us and taken care of us. I want you to ask yourself, where would I be on these options? I want you to come together with me on the first Sunday of February. Now, case in point, it's tailgate Sunday. I'm not going to talk about this on that Sunday. We're going to take an offering. I'm not going to mention this. We're going to have Matt Samen, former Baylor Bear basketball player back in the day when the one Baylor uh, student basketball player shot and murdered the other one. He's going to give a testimony of how God provided for that. You can bring your unchurched friends on tailgate Sunday. I will not buttonhole them for money that day. I'm going to do that to you today, not them <laughs> that day. I'm almost done. Somebody here says, Pastor, we cannot afford to tithe. We just don't make enough to do this. I'm looking at it. It just isn't going to happen. Okay, I hear you. I've been where you've been at certain times in my life. But let me ask you this. If your company came to you and said, I'm so sorry, we're going to have to cut everyone's salaries 10% for 2020. Everyone's salaries gets cut this year. Everyone's, including yours. Think you'd make it? I think you'd do it. Listen to me carefully. Take it from someone. When I moved to Texas, I didn't have two pennies to put in my name. When you tithe and you don't have it, this is what happens. You learn to trust God because you begin to see that God is working on your behalf. You're not in this just you and your spouse if you're married. God is working ahead of you. And I'm telling you, from someone who paid for his own master's, most of his doctorate, I didn't know where it was coming from, kids in that time, I began to trust the Lord with my money and the money I didn't have. Because my wife's family taught me that this is a principle and a priority. And we did this, the Lord went to bat. And he just took care of things in a remarkable way. If you tried to do your finances without this, you say, I got it, God. I don't need you. I never want to go to a battle saying, I got it. I want others with me. I want to close with this. If I could magically have for you today all of your giving records for 2019, everything you gave to United Way, everything you gave to this church, whatever church, everything you gave to benevolence organizations, all that stuff, if I could put that in your hand right now, and I could total that up for you, and you saw your contribution statement, the money that you gave to all charity in 2019, 
then I said to you that God's here today and he will do this. He will multiply that number by 10 for 2020. Would you be happy with that number? That's tithing. That's exactly what we're talking about today. Lyndon Baines Johnson, our former president, had a letter on the wall, a hundred-year-old letter. It was a letter that his great-grandfather had led Sam Houston to faith in Christ. Sam Houston had remarkably changed. He was no longer the belligerent, the tough guy. The Lord had really changed his life. And the letter describes an event that everyone knew well, including Houston. In fact, LBJ's grandfather had the privilege of being there for Houston's baptism, the famed Texan. And after he was baptized, Houston said, reportedly said to the pastor, I'm going to pay half your salary this year. <laughs> I've never had that in all the baptisms I've done, right? <laughs> Somebody said, Houston, why are you doing that? Listen to his reply. Because my pocketbook was converted to. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.